I'm Daniel Verdon, and this is the Maybell Soda Can Podcast. The Maybell Soda Can Podcast is about a woman named Maybell, how she lived, how she died, and how she stayed dead. Most people live and die and stay dead, I know. But this time, it was a near thing, her staying dead. There was a lot of magic involved, and not just the every new day is a miracle kind of magic. It was the fun wizards and monsters kind of magic. Also, there was the bit about the indestructible and unmovable soda can that destroyed the world. So that was different. Today, Maybell is eight years old. She managed to stop Cliff from telling the bus driver and the school at large about Sylvia's gift by hitting him every time he tried to speak. But that strategy has outlived its usefulness now that they have arrived at school. Besides, there's a disturbing feeling in the air, and it's the kind that matters. Miss McClellan pulled her bus into the big half-circle loading and unloading zone at the Hickory Hollow Elementary School a bit late. All the other buses were already in place. Each of the other buses had a roaring engine and hydraulics that made a steady chugging racket punctuated by whooshing and wheezing noises at odd intervals. Each of the other buses was filled with screaming, shouting, window-pounding, smiling, and laughing children. Filled with these youngsters, the buses were these fantastic, big, yellow, joyous, organic things of roaring machinery, radiating naivete and unabashed silliness. Miss McClellan's bus did not radiate anything. It was a dead zone, an unnerving static point causing dissonance in that cacophony of enthusiasm, movement, and sound. Miss McClellan left the engine running like on all the other buses, but the children on Miss McClellan's bus did not scream. They did not shout. They did not pound the windows, smile, or laugh. They sat still, looking terrified or bored or worried. Their silence had its effect on the silly, happy children on the other buses. They began to point towards Miss McClellan's bus. A hush fell on the loading zone. Miss McClellan sighed. She opened the bus door. She motioned for a teacher to come help her. A youngish lady with long brown hair and a plain face left the bunch of teachers she had been talking to and walked to the bus. Her name was Miss Ivy. She taught one of the second grade classes. Her face was stern when she said, Hey, what's up? Miss McClellan did not respond to Miss Ivy right away. She shook out her puffy mullet, stood, and called to the back of the bus. Cliff and Sylvia, up here please. The rest of y'all were lovely. Stay lovely a little longer, here. Then she turned to Miss Ivy. Hey, would you be a doll and watch this bunch until the bell rings? Just keep them quiet. Get them to their classes for me if you would. I got a situation to deal with. Miss Ivy nodded and stepped onto the bus. All right, you three. Let's walk, said Miss McClellan. She marched the three of them off the bus and onto the semicircle sidewalk of the bus loading and unloading zone. All the children on all the buses got to their feet to see why a teacher had been called over. The young ones stood in their seats. They put their faces to the hazy bus windows to see what had happened to make the bus come in so late and so quiet on the first day of school. There was something primal and other than going on at Hickory Hollow Elementary that morning. And if the children had been self-aware, they would have noticed that they felt the oddness before they realized that the bus was quiet. The oddness was there before Miss Ivy had been called over. It was an oddness like the one felt at the bottom of the stairs in a dark basement. 
the final step before reaching the floor that is a touch longer than all the ones preceding. It was a sudden weak feeling in the stomach and a need to find the ground. The bus kids watched Maybelle step off the bus trailed by a cliff and Sylvia with Miss McClellan hunched over them. Grayson McCann, a ruddy freckled cheek boy who had been in Maybelle's class the year before called out his open bus window. Hey, look who's in trouble already. All the bus kids started to hoot and holler. The hollering began as a The pitch starting low and going up as high as they could manage. Then the hooting started. It was a steady woo, woo, woo. Then the bus kids got bored of that and started chanting, Maybell's in trouble, Maybell's in trouble. Maybell got so angry at the bus kids were hooting at her, she felt she could burst. She felt like she could come apart in a million pieces, die, come back to life, and throttle every single hooting one of them. She could cry and scream as she scratched at all their faces. She could punch them all in their stomachs and kick them all down to the ground. She could stomp on them as the tears poured out of her eyes and blurred her vision. But she could not do any of those things. Not really. She could only be an embarrassed little girl with no recourse at all to the taunting of the bus kids. She could keep breathing. She could keep walking. She could refuse to cry. She could forbid the tears to come, stuff the sobs back into her belly, and just not cry. That's all she could do. It's what she did. She kept her eyes focused on Miss McClellan's poofy mullet. She put one foot in front of the other. She breathed deeply. She held her head high, and when she had composed herself, turned and waved to them all the way she thought Jacqueline Kennedy might wave to a line of reporters. She flashed a brilliant smile. She took a long, slow, deep bow. Some of the hooting turned to cheering. Small victories. Maybelle felt a small, clammy hand take her own hand. It was Sylvia. Sylvia was grinning a frightened grin and sobbing openly. She was looking at the school buses horror-struck. Maybelle gave Sylvia's hand a reassuring squeeze. They were in this together. Maybelle tried to catch Cliff's eye as they marched away from the buses. He would not look at her. He kept his focus straight ahead with the hard gaze Mabel had seen on photos of Greek statues. The ancient generals and great thinking men from way back always had a proud look to them. Her father wore that look sometimes. She poked Cliff with her finger, and he still would not look at her. She said, Psst, to get his attention. Cliff nodded his head no without looking at her and suddenly tripped over his own feet. He fell on the sidewalk hard and grunted. He grabbed his knee and winced, shutting his eyes against the pain. He grunted again and rolled to his back. No, you don't, said Miss McClellan. She pulled him up by his jacket for the second time that day, set him on his feet, and kept walking. But he fell again. This time he fell in too, Miss McClellan. She grabbed him by his shoulders and said, Hey there, buddy. You keep your feet under you. Yes, ma'am. Sorry. Just still feeling it, you know, said Cliff. Miss McClellan nodded and kept marching. The three of them marched behind her in a line along the sidewalk in front of the red brick buildings and halls of Hickory Hollow Elementary. The hooting of the bus kids fell behind them so much that they could hardly be heard, and soon enough, they came to a pair of doors with a little overhang over them. Miss McClellan held one of the big doors open and urged the sisters and Cliff inside. They walked into a room Maybell instantly recognized. She had never entered it from the outside, but she knew it. 
The teachers usually gave her a wooden hall pass and made her walk to the school office by herself to tell Principal Harrison why she was in trouble. The receptionist's desk was covered in a tidy mess of papers and folders, like it always was. The black push-button phone with the dingy manila buttons the size of hard candy sat on one side of the tidy mess on the desk like it always did. A clunky, dirty, gray personal computer that had never been turned on, and never would be, sat on the other side of the tidy mess, in perpetuity. The receptionist, a middle-aged woman named Miss B, sat at the desk. She looked to Maybelle like a potato might look if the hair from a Chatty Cathy doll had been placed on top of it, and whoever had done the placing had been too rushed to do a good job. Miss B had better skin than a potato, but not by much. There was a hallway leading beyond Miss B's desk to a place only teachers could go. A door beside Miss B's office bore a nameplate that read, Principal Albert Harrison. The walls of the area in front of Miss B's desk were lined with folding chairs. The sort of green leafy plants that look fake but aren't fake had been placed in the corners. The floor was covered in dingy white tile. It all formed a chintzy waiting room. Miss McClellan cleared her throat. She said, Miss B, we had some excitement this morning. I need to see Albert. Miss B raised her eyebrows and gave Miss McClellan a hard look. She picked up the phone headset with so much force it made a chinging sound. She dialed an extension without a word, which was odd to Maybell. Miss B normally chatted with Maybell until Maybell started huffing and sighing so much that she couldn't help but take the hint. Even then, she'd wait until some unsuspecting person decided to travel through her lobby and exact her toll in the form of a chat that could go on for 10, 20 minutes. And here she was, giving the whole group the silent treatment. Well, maybe Miss McClellan wasn't so bad. Miss B spoke into the headset. Principal Harrison? Miss B gave Miss McClellan that same reproving raised eyebrow look again and went on. We had an incident in transportation that requires your attention. There was silence as Miss B listened to what Principal Harrison had to say. No, no one's hurt, I don't think. I believe this is a disciplinary matter, sir, said Miss B into the phone. Another silence. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay, I'll tell it, said Miss B. She hung up the phone with another chinging clang. She said, Miss McClellan, if you will have a seat, Principal Harrison will be with you shortly. And, and she stopped. Her potato face broke into a large, broad-toothed smile. Maybelle, is that you? Said Miss B. Yes, ma'am, said Maybelle. What did you get into this time, hun? Said Miss B. Maybelle shrugged. Miss B said, well, you and your friends best have a seat and wait on Principal Harrison, too. Miss B returned to her work, typing, filling out forms, and sorting stacks of paper. The wait for Principal Harrison was short and miserable. Cliff slouched in his chair. He stared at the ground. Maybell sat beside him. She nudged his knee with her knee. She said, I'm sorry, okay? But Cliff only shook his head and turned away from her. Miss McClellan sat on Cliff's other side. She hushed Maybell and said, no talking, sweetie. And she smiled so sincerely that Maybelle felt perplexed by it. Miss McClellan sat back in her seat. She pulled a pack of marble reds out of her jacket pocket, looked over it fondly, smiled, and put it back in her pocket. She bounced one knee and checked her wristwatch. Sylvia still held Maybelle's hand. A 
place where their hands met was sweaty. It was gross to Maybell, but she could tell that holding her hand mattered to Sylvia. She put it out of her mind. What Maybell cared about was how she could get Cliff to look at her again. She knew that if he would just look at her, he would think it through. He would understand. He would keep what he saw of the little blue orb of light Sylvia had produced to light the bottle rocket on the bus to himself. The minutes crawled by. Maybelle felt a big throw-up-inducing doom in her belly as she looked at the principal's door. The doom sank down to her feet. It made her legs feel weak. Her heart started to beat too fast. Her head began to spin. She saw visions of military men bursting through the big double doors of the school office to take her sister away. Maybelle was deep into a reverie about armed men in black suits with high-powered rifles and walkie-talkies when the phone on Miss B's desk rang. Miss B answered it before the first ring ended. She listened to it for a moment. She said, All right, I'll tell her. She placed the phone back on its base with a clattering chunk, and she addressed Miss McClellan. You go on in and catch Principal Harrison up on this business. He'll take it from there. Miss McClellan scratched her poofy mullet with the two good fingers she had on her right hand and went in to see Principal Albert Harrison. Psst, said Maybell again. She shook Cliff's knee with her hand and said, Now, what would have happened to Sylvia if you had got it out and told Miss McClellan the whole bus what Sylvia can do? Cliff shrugged. He looked at the ceiling. Y'all be quiet over there, said Miss B without looking up from her work. Maybell heard Miss McClellan's muffled talking through the door. Then a deep voice spoke. The deep voice broke out in laughter, but it wasn't the sort of laughter that made Maybell feel good. It was the other kind of laughter. Miss McClellan laughed and cackled too. The door to Principal Harrison's office opened. Maybell could hear Principal Harrison clearly through the open door. He said, Well, you know, these things happen. First day's always a gut puncher. We'll get it sorted. Principal Harrison and Miss McClellan stepped into the hall. They shook hands just outside Principal Harrison's door. Their eyes creased when they smiled at one another. Miss McClellan popped a cigarette into her mouth and let it hang from her lips. She said, See you around. Then she burst out with a big grin, crossed the room, and stepped outside through the big office double doors. Maybell nudged Cliff in the ribs with her elbow. She said, you're not going to tell the principal what Sylvia can do, are you? He'll call the police. They'll take her away. Scientists will put her through tests. They'll stick her with tubes and cut her open. You can't. But Cliff kept looking at the ceiling. Will you at least look at me? Said Maybell. He never changed his gaze at all. His face gave way nothing at all. Principal Harrison started walking toward them. Please, said Maybell one last time as the principal approached. The principal wore a bushy mustache, had thick round eyeglasses, and wore a green cardigan with a thick yellow border around the collar that continued down each side to form a thick yellow line along the middle of the chest where the garment was buttoned in the middle. His belly was big and paunchy enough to round out the bottom of his shirt in a way that made Maybell think of water balloons. He passed his hand through his shaggy curly gray-white hair and looked at Maybell, Sylvia, and Cliff with intelligent, analytical eyes. His eyes paused on Sylvia 
and for a split instant, his gaze changed. His eyes looked much like the big brown eyes of a dog that has been confused. He shook his head and walked to where the children were sitting. His voice boomed again. Maybell, lovely to see you again. You had a terrific summer holiday, I hope. And this must be Sylvia. This has been the second episode, scene two, of the Maybell Soda Can podcast. The voice acting was done by me, Daniel Verdon. The music and story are written and recorded by me, Daniel Verdon. You can support the podcast and me as an artist by going to anchor.fm slash Maybell Soda Can and clicking the green button. There's a green button that says support podcast. I think they made it purple now. Anyway, there's a way to support this podcast through there. Also, just tell your friends, hey, this is a podcast. It's really peculiar. You should listen to it. Check this out. You should check out episode 56 of the Hoodoo Music Podcast. He meets with a band called Gardeners from place called Rock Hills, South Carolina. They play a song called Bent, which was my favorite out of the entire podcast. And yeah, Mark, I listened to it three times, but that song was the best one. I watched it. It was more like four times. Anyway, really enjoyed this podcast. And a young lady named Lillian, she has pink hair. You can, if you go on YouTube, you can see the videos of the Hoodoo podcast, which is pretty cool. That's how I know she has pink hair. Um, anyway, they talk about how they wrote their songs. They talk about who they are. There's Allie, who plays drums. He met Brandon or Landon, I could never tell, um, at a house party and... John, the guitarist, was added later, and Tim plays bass. Mark and Tim apparently have embarked on some sort of time travel adventure that they're going to tell us about later, which I don't understand why, because it's time travel. You should be able to tell me about it any time, or maybe time is very specifically important. I don't know. Um, the band got its start in two, 2014, when Landon and a young lady named Leah, who played the cello, got to, like, met up in the Winthrop Theater, and then it kind of fizzled out, and then Landon just, Landon or Brandon, who, like, he went to England, he brings it up a lot, which is just hilarious to me, and they made fun of him on the podcast for bringing it up so much, which was super fun, too. Um... And the best part of the entire podcast was when um, John was like, John brings up how like they brought him on because they needed two guitarists for this wedding show. And everyone, like literally everyone in the room goes, 
Oh yeah, that's super fun. Anyway, I think you would like this podcast, so check it out. Okay, I'm done. I'm so done. I'm gonna end this podcast. I love you so much. I hope you enjoy what I'm doing here. Um, and this story is just going to get progressively weirder and more fun. Catch you next time.